Star Wars Legacy.html is brought to you by the fine folks at Cage Club. So for all things podcasts, movies, music, media, and more, head on over to cageclub.me or like, subscribe, and follow on all of your favorite social media and podcasting services. Hey everybody, I'm Nico. And I'm Kevo. And this is a long, long time ago in a galaxy... Wait, no, I, I can't. I already did the American Pie bit. Um, what other songs are about a long time ago? Um, oh, there's a Mariah Carey, Deep Cut, Long Ago. I can use that. Um, I actually almost suggested American Pie, even though you just said American Pie. I was like, what's that one that starts a long, long time ago and I can still... Fuck! Fuck, Don McLean, you've ruined everything. Uh... You've ruined American Pie. You've ruined Vincent, Vincent, Starry, Starry Night. It's actually just Vincent, Starry, Starry Night. It's not Vincent Vincent. Somebody named their kid Vincent Vincent. That's pretty rough. Plus, he made fun of who's that guy who mumbles a lot? Bob Dylan. Wait, are you telling me Don McLean made fun of Bob Dylan? That's who the jester is in the song. I like just read that Shut two the weeks ago. Fuck up! The king on his throne is Elvis, and the jester is Bob Dylan. I like am almost ninety percent positive. That is like when you explain to me what the Phantom Menace is. Oh well, I was about to say welcome to AmericanPie.html, but <laughs> welcome to Naboo.html. Meanwhile, on <laughs> this podcast that's supposed to be about Star Wars and the Phantom Menace, the Phantom Menace being the person who came back in. In the end, after all, he is always and will always be the Phantom Menace. But I swear to God, who else as a kid, when they saw Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace, didn't understand that it was that Senator Palpatine guy who was mostly just, like, walking around trying to be helpful, sounding like Tim Gunn? I was really disappointed because I kept expecting to see Mr. Wilson played by Walter Matthau, show up. I kept expecting to see Dennis come in, but this was in no way a Dennis the Menace sequel. I was really let down by that. But things that won't let you down are two of the greatest co-hosts you could ever ask to have. Now, like, I love doing this show with Kevo, and I love doing Excess for Podcast, and the opportunity to bring those two things together in a meaningful, non-reductive way is tough. It's really tough. So, like, when this opportunity presented itself, we could think of no finer gentlemen to have on the show than We Are Krakoa co-hosts, Dylan and Jonah. Guys, welcome to the show. It is such a thrill to be here. We're so sorry that we made you watch this movie. (laughs) Yes, hello, hello. Thank you for having me. I know I'm very busy and very booked up, but I would do anything for my fans. Well, (laughs) not just your fans, but your fams, because... You, sir, are absolutely one of the husbands, and this is not one of your first appearances. No, 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 no. You've been on this show a number of times. I have. I actually made a nice special appearance during the Dark Phoenix Apocrypha, where we covered the cartoon series that I've never seen before outside of one episode in French while I was in Canada when I was a kid. Yes, I have a distinct memory of that, and all I remember (laughs) is Wolverine yelling at Scott and, you know, the rest is history. It could have been from any episode. I can't believe you just left out Rap Battle. He wasn't done yet. You should start with Rap Battle. (laughs) Dylan, not only is this your first time on HTML, but I actually, I'll be honest, I had to check with you to make sure you were a Star Wars guy. So... (laughs) 
you want to talk a little bit about your Star Warsianisms? I am a huge sci-fi fan, and if you're a sci-fi fan of anything, you have to have seen Star Wars. But I do like Star Wars. I'm, I think for the most part, for most of the movies, except for episode five, I've maybe seen them a handful of times. But for some reason, when I was younger, episode five, I was completely obsessed with snow i i don't know why but i have seen episode five a million times fascinating wait are are you saying that you were obsessed with like 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 oh man this water it is it is powdery and and hard wet and so you loved hoth so you were really into empire yes do you really love frozen or would you have as a child I probably would have been obsessed with Frozen when I was a child because I'm I'm pretty obsessed with it now. So yeah, <laughs> I don't know why I have a weird snow fetish. I liked the forest mood of Endor, so I get it. We're very naturey, I guess. I totally get that because I have a connection to airbending like that. You know, I I feel very much like the fluidity of the wind and being an air sign. It feels, yeah, I think we all have things like that. Jonah, do you have something where you're just like, I'm really, oh, like you're Kitty Love. You're super into Kitty because you're an engineer. I don't know why I said that like Moira. Also, that would be Kitty Pride for HTML listeners, not like X-Men fans. We're talking about (laughs) Kitty Pride Shadow Cat. And for X-Men fans, that is Moira Rose that I sounded like. They can wax poetically about my favorite video game character of all time. If you are a fan of the Persona series and you've played Persona 4, my favorite character is Kanji Tatsumi, and I can literally write maybe about a 50-page dissertation about why I love this character so much, but why I... the main reason why I do is that his struggle within the game of wanting to be a man and what does that mean and how your likes for things that aren't masculine because he's a character whose family owns a textile shop and he's a very good tailor he can sew really well he loves cute stuffed animals he loves like really bright colors stuff like that and growing up I was the exact same where I loved things that typically weren't for boys I still to this day am a huge Powerpuff girl fan. I loved having my stuffed animals. There were so many different things growing up that I did were non-masculine, but never made me feel less of a man because I wasn't, I was very fortunate in that aspect. But having to come to the identity of masculinity and my own masculine identity, I really resonated with that struggle of the things that you like aren't traditionally masculine, but you that doesn't mean you're not a man. That was such a great way to say something I've heard you say so many different ways over the time we've been together. Also, when it comes to Star Wars, much like other sci-fi or nerdy genre fandoms, I tend to fall in love with characters who don't really have that much screen time or any kind of spotlight and... When it comes to Star Wars, there was a certain alien species that I tend to gravitate towards, and that's the Twi'leks. The first time we saw them was when we first saw Jabba, Return of the Jedi. We got to see a male Twi'lek and a female Twi'lek. One was the creepy white guy that was always by Jabba's side, and then another was one of the female dancers at Jabba's. And I don't know why, but when I was little, I fell in love with those aliens. And then when these prequel movies came out, we briefly got to see a blue female Twi'lek that was a Jedi, and I became absolutely obsessed with her, and I don't know why, but I think, again, it's probably just because I like characters that we know nothing about and who have just minutes of airtime. I have read a few comics and or books of Star Wars, and there's been other more 
famous ones, like there is a Darth Talon Twi'lek who's red, and then in the recent Rebels cartoon series, Hera was the pilot, and I'm just obsessed with this alien species, I don't know why, and that is just something that I love about Star Wars. Jonah, what is something that you love about Star Wars, or what is your love for Star Wars? Enlighten us. So I have a small confession. I also love the aliens that you're talking about, and also the blue Jedi female one. I don't know what it was. <laughs> oh my god. But every- <laughs> I love you so much more now. I, I'm not, like, not even to blow smoke or, like, joking. I really, like, Ever since I was a kid, those alien, the aesthetics of those aliens always just fascinated me. I was like, damn, I like that. I believe it's one of the Star Wars video games on the PlayStation 2. There was like a multitude of characters you play as, and I always wanted to be her. And my cousin wouldn't let me because he, he was better at the game, so he would want to be the Jedi's. So Star Wars isn't my most favorite series. I have nothing against it. It's just not something that I, when I was younger, was really into. When I was younger, I actually only saw one movie in theaters, and that was it. I've actually never seen any other Star Wars until recently when I've watched them with Kevo and Nico. So I'm happy to get into this big cultural phenomenon that it is and learn about it and... One of the things that I think is so important to remember about Star Wars is we always look at Star Wars as a film franchise. But one of the things we don't consider when we consider the film franchise-ness of Star Wars is that it's a film franchise that was basically the brain trust of one person. It can be easy to lose sight of the fact that Star Wars really kind of began and ended with George Lucas for so long. Don't get me wrong. There were, you know, Lawrence Kasdan's. Yeah. And, of course, the unquestionably vital John Williams to the success of the franchise. But instead of thinking about Star Wars as a collaborative effort, like a musical, it would be better to think of Star Wars as an album by a very honestly controlling artist. Consider somebody like Rob Thomas. When Rob Thomas hit it big with Matchbox 20's first record, it was a group effort. However, in my opinion, Matchbox 20's best record, Mad Season, actually, there were a number of songs Rob Thomas wrote by himself, played by himself, recorded by himself, produced by himself, and engineered by himself. Frequently, the band did little more than fill in on other instruments. It's almost like being a member of Nine Inch Nails. If you're in Nine Inch Nails, your name's Trent Reznor. If you're also in Nine Inch Nails, your name's not Trent Reznor, and no one cares. So it becomes important to consider that the behind the scenes on Star Wars is really about the voices of influence that intersected with George Lucas on his grand path to Star Wars a dum dee dum 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 dee dum 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 dee dum 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 dee dum bum bum Why am I feeling like this? Star Wars so now that Riri is on, can Riri be in Star Wars? Like, I just need her to be a regular in Mandalorian season two. Like, I literally see no reason why she should not be. I want more shit like that all the time, please. But, like, I actually just want her to be Rihanna. Who was I just? Oh, Betty White. I was saying, why the fuck hasn't Betty White been in Star Wars? Get her in now. Yeah, we don't have much more Absolutely. time left. Absolutely. Hey, you take that back. You never, I'll, I will say you never know. He's right that you never know. So that's why I'm like, let's do this today. Well, it's like I want Annie Potts to play Agatha Harkness. But what about Agatha Christie? <laughs> I don't care as long as I get somebody like I need like <gasps> Meryl Streep for Bova. Oh my That's God, we're doing. Nico! Oh, right, right, right. No, not not Bova. Right. So Star Wars, different alien human monster people. So talk about the first ever important alien human monster person, <clears throat> George Lucas. 
Well, that's the thing. You're saying first, but we're starting with the fourth Star Wars movie, which is a really weird place to start, perhaps. But, you know, we're doing this thing chronologically, and frankly, in some ways... I think this episode marks the true beginning of the end of what people thought Star Wars was. So just to help everybody who might be, you know, maybe you were born like several minutes ago, right? So just in case you were just spat out of a wall, Star Wars began in the 70s with a film called, well, Star Wars. It was followed by two sequels, Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. Later on, it would be clarified that those were the fourth, fifth, and sixth stories in a larger epic years later, they would go back and release the first stories, episodes 1, 2, and 3. So there's the original series, followed by the prequel series, followed by the sequel series. Something that I remembered last night that I almost didn't remember to bring up for this show was... These movies invented the word prequel. Like, I'm not really exaggerating. If anything, it at least introduced it into the popular vernacular in a way that it had never been used before. People weren't sure what to call these movies. And I remember in middle school, people being like, that's not a fucking word. Well, and now we live on the midquel. Yes, now people just make words like that up all the time. But back in 1997, before this movie came out, prequel was not a word and it had to be invented for these movies. I actually have a semi-post squitquel coming up next week, so um, I'm not going to be able to make it to gym class. (laughs) Now, beyond needing to invent a word for themselves to continue this franchise and go back and tell episodes one, two, and three of the Star Wars saga as it was exclusively known at the time. None of this Skywalker saga stuff. There was also the matter of a literary franchise that we mentioned last episode that has been deemed Star Wars Legends after the Disney acquisition. At the time, it was known as the Star Wars Expanded Universe. After Return of the Jedi, there was really not much going on with the Star Wars franchise. George Lucas had said a few things about continuing it, but really, truly, he did not feel like computer technology had gotten to the point where he could tell the story that he wanted. So he just kind of let Star Wars drift off in space until someone named Timothy Zahn wrote an original Star Wars sequel to Return of the Jedi known as the Heir to the Empire trilogy, and it was a New York Times number one bestseller. It was unbelievable how popular this book was and then the continuing books that came afterward that told the ongoing adventures of Luke, Leia, and Han. I'm just double checking. Are you saying that Timothy Zahn wrote the books about Thrawn? You made this joke last episode. That ultimately led to more stories about Luke, Leia, and Han? That's right. It's a sequel. (laughs) It's a sequel joke. I hate (laughs) So... But here's the thing about all of this, and I'm fairly positive I did mention it last episode, and we'll continue mentioning it over and over again. The Expanded Universe was technically never canon and was immediately invalidated by a ton of stuff that were done in these movies. So while there is an enormous attachment to the stories that were told outside of the Star Wars universe, in George Lucas's mind, the only thing that ever mattered were his original three movies and then these three prequels. Down to he actually has in many ways disowned bits of the Clone Wars, despite the fact that Lucasfilm and, you know, Skywalker studio production house block is like, nah, nah, we we accept that. Lucas himself is kind of like, oh, mostly, I guess, if you had to ask me about it, kind of, sure. 
Something that I also want to note about George Lucas is that he wasn't even doing much else besides Star Wars in this interim. He did the story for Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom in 84, the story for Willow in 88, the story for Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade in 89. Are you seeing a pattern on this? The story for Radioland Murders in 1994. Please see our Star Wars kickoff episode where we had a like psychological breakdown at how interested in this film we were. Meanwhile, John Williams could not stop working in the interim. That man is non-stop. He, not only did he do, like, a fuck ton of movies in between these, but, like, eight of them were collaborations with Steven Spielberg, three were with Oliver Stone, and three were with Christopher Columbus before he did Harry Potter. So we're talking before he ruined Rent. Yeah, before he ruined Rent. Since you mentioned that George was the story writer for Willow, do you think that's why Warwick Davis made an appearance in Phantom Menace? Oh, oh shit. This is fun. Warwick Davis made his first ever film appearance in Return of the Jedi. He played the, specifically the Ewok. Is he Wicket? Yeah, he's Wicket. He's He's Wicket? He's the Ewok that befriends Leia and brings her back to his village. And that Ewok is the one around whom the two Ewok adventure spinoff films from 1984 and 1985, uh, they're centered around him. So he actually got Willow because of Star Wars. He's been in, you know, a ton of George Lucas stuff, I think. All three other things. (laughs) Well, yes. But good eye catching him in uh, Phantom Menace. I also realized that was him. He has a, like, no costume appearance during the pod race. How exciting. Yeah, like, especially with actors who usually perform in prosthetics, it's really nice when you allow them a cameo where they don't have to do that crap. Well, it's like Jason Sudeikis says the greatest thing that ever happened to him was getting to wear a helmet for the scene in which he attacked the child. <laughs> he he yeah, hits the, the child, and he evidently received death threats for it. But, like, it doesn't show his face, so probably not as many death threats as he could have gotten. Pretty much. Don't fuck with Baby Yoda. That does seem to be the theme. Like that picture of George Lucas holding Baby Yoda and even his unchanging face looks moved. It's like seeing God hold Jesus. Can I not say that on air? Is that going to get us in trouble? I'm changing it to the theme song. I don't know what you're talking about. I want to go full Beatles, Nico. I was raised in a Star Wars household to the point where we were subscribed to the Star Wars Insider magazine, which was like a twice annual magazine at the time because there was literally nothing going on. It was like every issue was about, did y'all see the special editions when they came out? They were great. And when the prequels were announced as finally happening, I remember what a huge deal it was. And I remember sitting in my kitchen, seeing George Lucas talking about about the first one is going to introduce us to Anakin, the second one is going to see him fall in love, the third one is going to see him turn to the dark side. And I was like, man, that's a weird thing to talk about right up front before these movies even come out. Okay. That's pretty in line with the conversations we've had about how, you know, I'm going to just reference it one more time. Magical desk drawer. I grew up and there was sort of like this desk in my room that my parents like, oh, you're just going to keep this in the room. They kind of like, you know, take this furniture. And when I was a little kid, it was kind of like Narnia in that desk because every time I opened a drawer, I found something else fucking nuts. And most of them were like things my dad got from like accounting conferences. So they were like stress balls. But I'm like, Oracle stress. What is that? And, you know, so I created these incredible stories around all 
all of them, but one of the things was these like reams of computer paper that detailed a lot that changed, but some of the basic structure of what would go on to become the prequels. As much as Lucas claimed he never had anything in mind for the prequels and then never had anything in mind for the sequels, there's a lot of evidence to the contrary. I think he's just a person who likes to believe if it's not actually committed to film, then nothing is final and nothing is planned and he can say, no, I never had anything. I don't think that he fully 100% committed to anything that wasn't put on film and played for an audience. And that's part of why he's like, and that's part of why he can be like, the Clone Wars TV show doesn't count because it's on TVs. That's not the same thing as being in theaters. Like, I have to assume that's why he's able to say he had no plans for these things because you're right. So many things that he had planned before the first Star Wars movie came out in like 1972 is the like, there's like, I think that's the first mention of midichlorians or something. Like, he had plenty of ideas that eventually did become canon that he's been like, like, I don't know what you're talking about. Mace Windy appearing in early Journals of the Wills notebooks. And he always wanted the focus of the prequel trilogy to be Anakin's turn toward darkness so that the episodes would tell his story from childhood to death. And viewed the and viewed this as the final step toward turning the franchise into a saga. I don't know what then his own sequel trilogy that he is said here and there exists would have been if one through six would have been a saga but maybe then like four through nine would have been a different saga i I don't know the way he does things blows my mind well i mean we have so many other examples of his incredibly successful work like radio land murders two through eight willow two three four five i mean we're making fun but it's not like he's james cameron So the point at which George Lucas finally felt he was ready to begin telling this story was in November of 1994. And one of my biggest complaints I'm going to bring up several times in this episode is the age of Anakin Skywalker and feeling like Nine was way too young. And anyone who agrees will be happy to know that he was originally written to be older, a whole 12 years old. I don't, I don't, I don't know what prompted the narrative choice of introducing one of the most revered villains in cinematic history as a young child, but okay. I have this idea. I want to tell the story of Genghis Khan, but I want to start when he was a little kid making wheelbarrows. Whole movie about that. I completely agree. I don't... I mean, even if he was 12, that maybe would have been a little bit better visually as well, Um, but this child in Phantom Menace, it's a lot of the feats that he accomplishes, I cannot fathom are actually accomplishable by someone of his age. If he was 12 or 15 or 16, I feel like it would be more believable. But as young as he was casted in this movie, I feel like it comes off a little silly. I completely agree. And it was something that I thought was extremely shocking that I didn't realize how young he was introduced. Uh, when they're building his pod racer, his friend says... Anakin, you've been working on this for years. Was he in the womb working on this? He's nine. <laughs> oh, my God. He's yeah. nine. And Holy he shit. was working on this for years. Maybe, maybe only- years are different on Tatooine. 
The only actual defense I can think of is your perception of time is very different when you're a child. And when a child says you've been doing this for years, you could have been doing it for like three days. And and that's obviously extreme hyperbole. But even that is like, yeah, what did he start working on it when he was like seven, six, five years old? He remembers assembling the first motherboard when he was just a zygote. And here's my thing about it, though. I could accept all of that if he wasn't also the child whose catchphrase was oops. <laughs> and who couldn't figure out how to turn off autopilot. And like, oops, that's how I got sucked up into this space battle. Like, is he a genius who has almost magical skill with technology? Or is he a child? And I want to say first and foremost, I really don't blame Jake Lloyd or any of the actors for their performances in this film. I put it on the direction, knowing that George Lucas frequently told people to emote less. No, that's not good direction. And that is a huge part of why I have issues with this film, is not feeling like there is any emotional connection to the characters. If you took the music out of the scene where Anakin says goodbye to his mom, it would be so fucking boring. I have to wonder if part of that was he was like, please don't outact this computer-generated backgrounds, number one. But number two, you know, we're talking a lot about how the age applied to Anakin reshapes our understanding of the character, especially in terms of the story. Jonah, you're literally why they did it. They didn't do it for us. They didn't do it for Dylan, Kevo, and myself so we can imagine what it would have been like to be Darth Vader as a kid. They did it for you guys who would then grow up with Vader as a kid and have that level of understanding. You grew up in a world where the duality of Vader was an inherent understanding of the Star Wars canon and that means you provide a very unique perspective on this wow that's a really good point they made it just for me specifically me all for Jojo. All for Jojo. So as someone who was on the younger end of that demographic that they were aiming toward, how do you feel about introducing Anakin Skywalker as a young boy or even just making the central figure of this story be someone who is your age? And please, in your response, refer to him exclusively as Darth Annie Oops. Taking Star Wars out of the equation for just two seconds, I don't particularly like children actors, and not to say that there aren't instances, I think the children actors on Single Parents are some of the best actors, better than adults I've seen, but when it comes, but it's, but it's hard. really hard, I, it's, it. I think back to a famous quote that Guillermo del Toro says that he doesn't like working with children or animals, and I understand why. I don't blame children actors for when they don't do fully well because they're just learning how to develop these skills as an actor. I, I, I'm not expecting an Oscar-worthy performance from them, but it's such a huge gamble, and here I really don't think it paid off. I remember growing up thinking Anakin was such a cool person because that's who I knew. I knew Anakin and I knew Obi-Wan. Everyone wanted... I personally liked Obi-Wan's green lightsaber, but everybody had Anakin's blue one. I have a question. When you say you grew up thinking Anakin was so cool, do you mean this Anakin or do you mean Attack of the Clones through Revenge of the Sith Anakin? Like the older flowy hair lightsaber. Yeah, older flowy hair Hayden Christensen. 
Yeah, but Jake Lloyd, nine-year-old, giant goggles, like that one, you even as a child, feel you didn't understand what was the point? I knew of The Phantom Menace. I didn't see it. I knew it had a child. I didn't know it was Anakin at the time when I was younger. And even still, as I grew a little bit older and I was still hearing things about it and I was interacting with it, nobody talked, at least in my circles and what I've heard, nobody talked about this young nine-year-old Anakin. We always, only ever talked about Christian Haydenson Anakin. Older, flowy hair, lightsaber, and gets with Natalie Portman. That's who we talked about. Not that he actually got with Natalie Portman, but... You know. That is really fascinating and good to know that that marketing didn't really pay off for you as someone who was a youngling yourself when this trilogy was coming out. Because I agree, who was asking for like a nine-year-old Jedi? Meanwhile, now I can't wait for Baby Yoda to be nine years old and jumping around with a lightsaber or whatever his equivalent is of nine years old. But is that because I've already seen them do a poor version of it. I'm just like trying to figure out how they got here. So imagine that they make one more motherfucking Avengers movie and in it, Thanos is given the opportunity to stop an even badder guy. And then 15 years from now, they're like, we're going to make the pre-Avengers saga and we're going to start with a baby Thanos. Like, this is a bad fucking dude. Vader is a bad fucking dude. And until this conversation, I don't think I ever realized the weirdness of being like, guys, identify with this mass murdering serial killer. Just, it's okay. This one, it's okay. We're going to make him look cuter as a kid and give him wet hair like you. But he's a he, he's a murderer and a bad guy. And he probably has some body odor issues. And identify with him. Go. They kind of did a precursor to what has become the new Disney princess formula, which is they, in every Disney princess movie now, always show the princess as a baby first so that you can see that baby and want to buy the baby doll merchandise of that princess just as much as the adult princess stuff. They have done that in every Disney princess movie since Princess and the Frog because they started making Disney princess baby dolls in the mid-2000s. But like, what is this baby doll princess? This isn't Belle. But if you see the baby princess in the movie, then you're like, oh, I love baby princess. They show baby Vader and you're like, like, oh, look, it's Baby Vader. But, like, that's a mass murderer. The Adventures of Baby Paul Pot. And I think part of it is there always being a little bit of confusion and obfuscation of what exactly falling to the dark side is. But when the prequel started coming out, for certain, like, Darth Vader was exclusively a mass murdering villain who, at the very end, apologized to his son and, like, that didn't mean he wasn't still all of those bad things. Oh my god, you just said falling to the dark side, and now I'm so upset about the number of falling deaths in this franchise. The number of people who either fall oh, yeah. to their death or fall into evil. Like, wow, too many people fall. This is, I feel like you could probably avoid all of the warring in the stars with like a life alert bracelet or something, because it really does seem like the key element here, the key element of Star Wars seems to be you have a bad 
day you never get better from until you decide you're just so tired of feeling bad you're willing to die. That seriously seems to be every fucking character in this entire franchise. You had one bad day, it made you a big piss baby for about 40 years, and then one day you're just tired of it and you're willing to die. I mean, first of all, 19 years. Also, big mood. But I mean, like, Yoda, Luke, Vader, everybody has one bad day, turns into a big piss baby all over the galaxy, just like, I gotta blow up this star. And then, like, it's really interesting that for the Star Wars universe, it's about pivotal moments that, like, it's like, it's about a transformation. It's about a chemical change, not about an aesthetic change. This is really who you are goes from grape juice to wine. and then Or grape juice to garbage. Like, it's all about pivotal moments. I agree. I was actually reading about something from the EU last night, a comic series called Star Wars Infinities from the early 2000s, and it was a mini-series of three three-issue stories for A New Hope, Empire Strikes Back, and Return of the Jedi, changing one key thing thing and telling what the story would be instead like what if the torpedoes that luke shot at the death star didn't blow up the death star and basically they wiped out the rebellion like right then and there how would the story play out apparently that writer feels that leia would have become a sith jedi person and would have had to fight her brother sure but i mean yeah it's it's about these key moments and the choices that people make in them and you know you say everyone turns into a piss baby ray didn't but that's not the point well no because ray is a gift that we should never ever stop being grateful for it's kind of men men turn into piss babies kylo ren has a bad day Even Han Solo has a bad day and runs away. It is like piss baby capital up in Star Wars. Coruscant, where everybody goes to be whiny. That said, I think I have one other major realization that I want to talk about before we get to the film. And that's, this introduces the first of a great many destinies that are like mutable? One of the things I love about the Star Wars universe, and I mean genuinely love with all my might, is they give you a fucking Nostradamus volume of prophecies to source and sort, and everybody kind of gets to pick the ones they want, because there's that whole thing about the prophecy about the one meant to bring balance to the Force, and that's supposed to be Vader, but I'm sorry, Palpatine seems to think that there's a bunch of prophecies about him. And then later on, he seems to think there are prophecies that shouldn't exist because the prophecies he already thought were going to come true should have come true. So like, if you're convinced that your great moment is January 1st, and you know, January 1st, you're going to become an uber god. Then there's this prophecy that's like April 13th. You might also become an uber god, but using this other lady. And you just want to be like, which is it, Palpy? But I love that about it. It's the inherent inconsistency of being power hungry. You always see every failure as just a chance to get to the real next prophecy. And that's part of you know, obviously giant spoiler alert, why Palpatine coming back in episode nine didn't really bother me because part of the reality of this whole franchise when the EU was still canon and even now with everything that Disney is adding back into canon is they believe that it has as wide a timeline as we do and good and evil are in constant struggle and just because they were able to defeat the Empire in Return of the Jedi doesn't mean that everything was great forever always. These things ebb and flow. Defeating an evil monarchy is a lot like kicking an addiction. You have to keep at it every day. It's not as simple as it's defeated and now you've won. 
But before we can talk about kicking the addiction, we're going to have to talk about getting addicted, I guess. Yeah. It seems like we have talked so much about the Phantom Menace before it phantominized that it looks like we're going to have to split this guy in two. That's this is our this is our lot in life, Kevo. We can't get through anything. I'm not sorry. I'm not sorry either. But before we do, guys, it's been such a great time having you on the setup episode before we start talking about the films themselves. Dylan, before we start the Phantom Menace, what is the one thing you want audiences to look out for before they watch the movie. I would tell fans to, I'm going to try to get the movie more credit than I should, but fans should go into the Phantom Menace with an open mind of not, don't necessarily fall in love with certain characters because they might not turn out to be what you think they are. And have an open mind to someone that looks like they're 15 or 16 having heart eyes for a nine-year-old. Ew. At least it's not in this movie. She barely talks to him. There's a look at the end, though, that's really creepy. But, like, every time she does talk to him, it's... I mean, hilariously, I feel like the vibe that they give off in this movie is brother and sister, and then they get married, whereas Luke and Leia gave off a romantic vibe and ended up brother and sister. The magic of incest, Jonah. What would you want audiences to know before they hit play on The Phantom Menace? Now, if you've never seen it, you might have heard the horror stories of the character Jar Jar Binks. But in reality, Jar Jar Binks is a Sith Lord. (laughs) So pay close attention. Pay close attention to what he does. And Jar Jar is the key to everything. And pay attention to what he says. You might have to watch the movie five or six times to understand what he says. So do that. <laughs> Lisa thinks you're being a little too hard on him. This is my first time watching this movie. And I have heard so many horror stories, so many different negative reviews of it. And I will say this. I do not believe it's as bad as some of the Star Wars fans want to make it out to be. So, as Dylan said, keep a small open mind to what the movie is. But make sure it's a very small Very mind. small. If you think too big, you're going to catch all of the problems. I think if you watch this movie on your phone on a foggy day, it's pretty good. And until that foggy day rolls around... Dylan, where can our lovely listeners find you on the internet? Everybody can find me with my huge X-Men obsession on Facebook at my X-Men Facebook group that is called House of X. Or you can find me on Instagram at Warpath underscore Dylan. That is Warpath underscore D-Y-L-A-N. Jonah, where can everybody find you? If you liked hearing my voice and this is your first time hearing me, check me out on some of the other episodes of HTML that I've been on, such as part of the Dark Phoenix Apocrypha, as well as Rap Battle. Or if you'd like to hear more about my knowledge of comic books, you can hear me over on X's for Podcasts, such as shows like We Are Krakoa and 80s Mutant Mania. If you'd like to reach out to me online, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Peak Jonah. So, you know, Kevo, I like... There's times I think this show is just gold, and I just want to dip it in gold, and because it's 24 karat gold. And there's times I feel like the show is a pretzel, and I just want to dip it in white chocolate because it's kind of crunchy and salty. And there's times I'm just so grateful that we finally get an episode done. I feel like we've been like it's like this episode was like trying to come the first week on anti-anxiety medication. You just cannot get it out. It just will not happen, no matter what you do. And we teased this project a month ago. Stopped for rap battle. Did New Mutants. Did another prequel episode. 
episode, and it's finally here. Now, other than our amazing, inclusive, superhero, superheroic, super amazing, super comic over at KidRiotComics.com, and we are Krakoa.com, our X-Men Facebook news site, where can everybody find you? You can find me on Instagram and tweeters at Kevorelly, K-E-V-O-R-E-A-L-L-Y, and on the Facebook page for this lovely program, Husbands Talking More or Less, at Real Nico Kevo Action. Nico, where can the folks find you? Like all over this network on all the same places as all of these lovely guys, as well as on my Instagram at Nico Action. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. And until we come back, guys, there's a big galaxy out there. A lot of stars, a lot of wars, but essentially it's all about a handful of whiny piss babies who had a real bad day. And Ray. Oh, wait, no, that's the tone I say. And we'll see ya. And that's why I thought I was done. So uh, g- uh, goodbye. <laughs> Bye. Bye. May the force be with you and, and also, also with, with your, your spirit. spirit.